Joe Trippi, there's so many strands here I want to pursue. You're everywhere now. You're hot, you're hip, you're happening, you're a cover boy. But there's still so much I want to know about where Joe Trippi came from. And I want you to map, if you can, the sort of natural history of your own development as an operative from the 70s, including the remnants of the post-Vietnam campaigns, McGovern, Hubert Humphrey, Ted Kennedy. You enter with a bang a small bang in the Kennedy campaign of 1980. But I'm interested in your kind of, the review in your own head of the emotional, the strategic, the technological history of where the Democratic Party has been and where it's going now. Well, first of all, I'm embarrassed about the cover boy thing. You look good it's out there, Joe. Take your it's, moment. It's a, no, there's really about 500, it's 500,000 people working every day uh, who just end up making me and a lot of other people look good. But I think... You know, I don't know. I mean, my first memory, political memory, well, actually, too. Uh, I grew up uh, in uh, Los Angeles, California. I remember being mesmerized by Bobby Kennedy. I had to be 12 years old, but mesmerized by him and followed his every move and was watching adoringly as he walked through the kitchen at the, uh, I mean, I remember watching that speech live as he accepted the the victory in California in, uh, in June that year and uh, not maybe eight blocks from my house. The Ambassador mm -hmm. Hotel is eight blocks from my house and that crushed me. I mean just crushed me and I really didn't realize that there was this political thing in me. I remember being earnestly locked into Bobby Kennedy but the next time I would really wake up, uh, McGovern I remember going to a big rally at the L.A. Sports Arena. My uncle took me. I was still quite young, probably mid-teens. Uh, but it was 74, around in there, where uh, an African-American, I was going to San Jose State University at that point and uh, studying aerospace engineering because I'd always had this fascination with technology and airplanes. Mm. Um, and uh, I read in the paper one day that this woman had absolutely no chance of winning um, actually, it said the incumbent, Joe Cola, was going to win in a cinch because he'd only drawn um, the opposition of an African-American woman, uh, and everybody knew San Jose was 3% African-American, and therefore Joe Cola was a done deal. I mean, that, that's how the story read, and it just pissed me off. I got really angry. I just started called up in Iola Williams headquarters and started walking precincts for her, got the entire campus to start walking precincts for her. She would later end up on the city council. Did she win the campaign? She, we forced him into a runoff, and in the middle of the runoff, there was a vacancy on the council, and she got the appointment. Uh, and then another one of the individuals who'd gotten into the runoff with Cola beat Cola, because we all then joined okay. forces and beat him. So it's a kind of like convoluted bank shot, but it worked. <laughs> so, uh, But along the way, I started realizing that as much as I was into technology and airplanes, that... I didn't need to really know about lift-drag coefficients and things like that. It was kind of boring stuff. I mean, interesting. And I, and I was, it wasn't like a getting bad grades or anything like that. I had the proficiency to do it, but I just wasn't all that focused on it and ended up getting more and more involved in politics till I led the fight to get rid of our university president because of uh, he had made some uh, remarks about affirmative action in the Bakke decision. So I, we got him to resign as president of uh, San Jose State. But in the end, it was uh, 79. I got a call saying get to Iowa. The Kennedy campaign had 
been looking for some of the better organizers in the country. By then, I'd participated in United Farm Worker great boycotts and things like that as I'd become more and more political in California and ended up going to Iowa for Kennedy, um, ended up running Iowa for Mondale in 84, was Gary Hart's political director, and a deputy political director, excuse me, under Paul Tully, a legendary organizer in the party in uh, 88. And when Hart uh, got out of the race, I became Dick Gotthart's national deputy campaign manager. And then, frankly, what by was 92... The, what was the what was the trippy trick in those days? I mean, what did you think it was about? And I asked partly because Gary Hart and I used to talk all sorts of angles of where the party was going and what the base meant. I'm mean, sure you've heard Gary's uh, General Kutuzov speeches and, you know, War and Peace, Napoleon. He always thought big. He thought historically. What was the trippy take on sort of where the Democrats were in that kind of, uh, that Carter and then Reagan wilderness? Well, I think... I think there's been two sort of competing forces in the party for quite some time, and one is sort of this top-down, older structure of party bosses kind of thing. It's been gone for a while, a long time, but it's still latently sort of around. It's uh, part of that Teddy White story that just won't fade away. But yeah, it's just, it's just there. The thing I'll always remember, I mean, I think the, thing, the one central thing that's had more impact on our campaign today than any other thing was when I was with Vice President Mondale in 84, Hart kept talking about concentric circle organizing, this idea hmm. that you can't depend on a top-down structure, that what you need to do is, I mean, his basic strategy was to run into a town in Iowa, drop a pebble in the water, and if you drop a pebble in water, you see that ripple, you know, that goes out and those little rings that ripple from where the pebble fell. His whole view of it back then was just get one person. Get, go in there, get one person, that's your pebble, drop the pebble in the water, and let that leave, and let that person take control and do what they can in that. Let the, that energy ripple out to other folks in town. And that's how he organized in 84, and I watched us almost get wiped out by it. I mean, here we are, we're the juggernaut, probably the strongest front-running in guy in party history, even to this day. And this concentric circles and all its ripples almost took us out. Gary Hart would get 15% in Iowa, take second place. That ripple would just kept rippling across the You're country. You're watching it from a Mondale perspective. Right. right, okay. I remember seeing it and remember just being amazed by it. And then um, after 92, where I sort of dabbled in presidential politics, was really kind of getting sick of the usual games that are played. Were you in the Clinton thing or the no, Jerry Brown no. opposition? I did a little work for Jerry Brown, mostly out of past friendship in, uh, when I, from my California days. It wasn't... Hmm. I had kind of like just... 88 had kind of made... And, and things that happened after that just sort of made me get disenchanted and I'd kind of disengaged. And by the late... Mid to late 90s, I was doing almost no politics. I was hmm. back in... Uh, working in Silicon Valley, kind of still dabbling in politics, doing a house racing here or there, but I, I started to work, do consulting work for high-tech companies and Internet companies and that were building Internet communities or... or Was this or marketing or technology or what? Sort of strategy, how to get the technology into the marketplace. And one of the companies was Progeny Linux Systems, which is, you know, Linux is an open source. It's where everybody collaborates on writing the software for lay people out there who aren't into, into computer geek stuff. But I, I remember two things. that I, It dawned on me as I worked for some of these companies that the Internet was concentric circle organizing on steroids. 
that you could drop pebbles all over the country using it. And then at the same time that Linux was in, in, in sort of the power of all those people collaborating on software that made the software more stable, stronger than commercial developed software because the, just the sheer numbers that were developing, it made sure that you didn't have any cracks or holes in it and it couldn't be hacked as easily and things like that. But I was tuning out of politics at the time and thinking, hey, I'm just going to go do this. Uh, you know, uh, Maybe this is where I can make a difference. Because I'd always gotten into, the, the, from Iola Williams on, it was all about how can I make a difference. In a lot of ways, I think that's why we connect so well with our supporters. I keep saying that, uh, as I said, that our big hurdle is getting over people's disbelief that they can make a difference. Well, I had to get over my own disbelief to come back and do this one. And Howard Dean did that with me. I was on my first trip to Iowa with him. Um, I had to be badgered into it by my partners. You know, you got to go. You know Iowa. You've done it for Mondale. Get, just go one time. Who introduced you to Dean? My partner, Steve McMahon, who uh, had worked for him for about 12 years and would call me up during uh, the 2002 cycle uh, in which I was in a devastatingly brutal house race in Pennsylvania that we ended up winning, but it was the Republicans were just throwing everything but the kitchen sink and the president and Cheney at us with days to go. And I had gutted myself through that whole race, basically looking up at the calendar saying 59 days to go, and if I can just live through it, I get to sleep for the whole odd year. 58 days to go, and if I can just live through this, I get to sleep for the whole odd year. Well, about this time, my partner's calling me up saying, hey, I think Howard Dean's going to run for president. And I'm saying, good, click, you know, hanging up. He'd call me up three, you know, I'm doing 39 days to go, and if I get through it, I can sleep for the whole odd year. Hey, Joe, I think he's serious. He's talking about going to Iowa. Good for him. Goodbye. Don't bother me with this. Click. Till it was over, I was just exhausted. I had pneumonia. Um, I was just hacking and coughing. He called me up and said, look, I know you're beat. I know you want, you're going to sleep for the rest of this year. Do me one favor. Go to Iowa just once with them. Do that for me before you check out. And so I went to Iowa, and we were in this house in uh, some neighbor's house, you know, just an Iowan's house and outside of Lynn County. And uh, he started talking about how it was not just there was a time in America where it was everyone's responsibility, your responsibility as an American citizen and my responsibility as an American citizen, not to just have good schools for my kid or good schools for your kid, but good schools for kids in Alabama and Mississippi and Oakland, California and Brownsville, Texas. And he started to do this talk that he was doing, and I wanted to run out of the room. I was just like, run, leave right now, because if you don't leave right now, you're not sleeping for the whole odd year. You're going to be doing something insane, like running a presidential campaign and thinking you can make a difference. And, um, well, <laughs> I'm here. Here you are. I'm here, and, uh, and I think, but it was, it's, it was hearts. You are what, you know, all that you see and meet and, and experience in your life, and I think one of the the strange things is that Hart had a bigger impact on this campaign, even though the place I was viewing Hart from was opposing him in the Mondale campaign. And I also think that the party's just been really just lacked any kind of moving forward. I don't mean just on issues. I mean on technology. I mean, the Republicans are just beating our hmm. brains in with how they use cable television, radio, and 
You know, I, I think in the end, one of the things we're doing is making the Democratic Party competitive. Right now, I believe we're the only Democrat who can beat Bush, and a lot of it has nothing to do with the issues. Uh, most of these candidates just all decided to receive matching money, which means they're going to be uh, broke in March, even if they could beat us. Even if they beat us, they'll be uh, hit their spending limit of $45 million in March. Karl Rove's going to be there with $200 million against any one of these guys now. It's $200 million to zero. And people want to know, like, what makes us electable? Well, let me tell you, whatever anybody's worst fear is about what Karl Rove's going to say about us, he's going to say it about them, and they won't have any money to say it's a lie. It's, it's literally throwing the towel in, and the party really doesn't have an apparatus to compete with that. And I think millions of Americans can, but we're the only campaign that's attracting them and getting over their disbelief that they can make a difference. Joe Trippi, go back. Uh, when you took the mission, you already had the Internet idea and the Internet strategy. I want to hear, in effect, the, the, the locker room vision before the blog offensive kicked in. What did you say to your folk? How did you explain what you were going to do? Well, <laughs> it wasn't. It was kind of getting over some disbelief everywhere. I mean, I remember trying to get Meetup, the Meetup logo on our website, to encourage people to click and join Meetup. It took a week or two to get it up. I mean, I, I came in here and said, and I, by the way, the idea came from a blogger. It didn't come from me. It came from a, the Mighty D blog, which I had read for years. Uh, I'd, I'd read At Gross's blogs. Blog. Yeah, I'd, I'd read blogs for forever, uh, you know, since they started up. And Mighty D, which was Jerome Armstrong and Matt Gross wrote, wrote for them. Um, and I remember in January reading a blog entry saying, hey, there's this thing called Meetup. Dean should use this. There's many people trying to sign up to use it that way. So I came in and said, put it up on our site. And I got the kind of, this was when our site was just wallpaper like everybody else's. And I got sort of the, you know, why why are we doing that? Just put it up. Came in the next day, it's not up. I mean, you know, it was just sort of, you know, they didn't, people didn't understand. Once they put it up and saw people start signing up like crazy, people started to get it, and even here. And, you know, within a few months, we, and then, there was a moment when they said to you, Joe, uh, what in the world are you thinking when you explained it in a, in a, in a, I'm thinking of kind of the Newt Rockney pep talk. Well, what, it was a bunch of things. The governor kept coming back from all these trips saying, we got to do something. I mean, we have to run a decentralized campaign. There's only seven of you guys. We only have $100,000 in the bank. And everywhere I go, when I'm done, there's all this energy. People are... And they come up to me and they want to do things. But as soon as I get on the plane to go to the next stop, there's nothing there. I mean, it's gone. So we have to run a decentralized campaign. How are we going to do this? Well, every time he came back and did that, and this was every time he came in and said, we got to figure a way to run a decentralized campaign. So even that was his notion. But every time he said it, it made me think, Internet, that's the way to run a decentralized campaign. Then we saw a meetup. Man, you mean people could meet once a month in their community? We could get people everywhere he goes. We tell them that's what they do. They come to our website, meetups on there. And, you know, Governor Deans, we never try to mislead people into thinking he's the big technology guy and understands everything. He doesn't know how the servers work or those kinds of things. But I think the day he got it was March 5th in New York. This is definitely the day I got what it meant, too, was March 5th in New York City. We had decided to stop by a meetup. It was our first time we were actually going to go to one. 
And uh, I remember getting there 15 minutes before the governor did. I decided I wanted to hop in a cab and get over there a little early, check it out. Cab pulled around the corner, and I just went, oh, my God, because there were hundreds of people on the street circling the entire city block of New York. NYD pop cop cars screeching over, pulling over to see what what the hell was this thing, this crowd circling a block. Uh, and I'm going over to talk to the officer, sort of heart in hand, hoping, you know, sort of like, because I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. And I'm starting to go into the, this is either, you know, depending officer on how you see things, either <laughs> a, an Internet thing gone really, really great or hopelessly awry, and, you know, we need to... And uh, by then, by the time I got over to the officer, he had was talking to people in line in, in the crowd who were telling him they were there to see Howard Dean. When I start going through my thing, he says, it's okay. I just want to know, can I meet him? <laughs> and uh, uh, it was like, well, he's really uh, – well, anyway, what happened, though, was the place held – it was the Exix Lounge. It held 550 people by fire code. They have a little clicker at the front front door. They stopped letting anybody in at 500. So there were 500 people in there, at least three or 400 circling the block. And Governor Dean walks, comes, his, the car, his cab or whatever he was in, I can't remember, pulls up. And this is all from people who just heard hmm. over the Internet that he was coming there to the meetup. That starts happening all over the country. And, that, and someone in that meetup sent an email out the next morning saying, I want to challenge everybody in meetup to contribute $10 to Howard Dean and put a penny, at $10 and a penny, so when that penny hits their server, they'll know, hmm. the Dean people will know it was Meetup. And within hours, my folks from the net department come in and say, there's something really weird happening. We're getting all these contributions with a penny next to, the, next to it. And we started tracking it down, found out it was an email from the Meetup in New York. We've never found the person, because we, we, we always, everything we trace back, Definitely came out of the meetup in New York, but by the time we can never get back to the original email, we always got some forwarded email, so we don't know who it was. But somebody sent out an email that would, by the end of March, be responsible for about $400,000 coming to the Dean campaign. Mm -hmm. This happens, by the way, now all the time. We, there's a woman at Penn State who sent out an email that said, I sold my bike for democracy. And... Uh, it was a very moving email about how she sold her bike for $76 and then sent Howard Dean the money. We now, to this day, get donations from young people on college campuses all over the country under the banner, I sold my bike for democracy. <laughs> um, Let me ask now, you. I don't think they all sold their bikes, but you know, it's more the spirit of, what, of what's going on out there that's just pretty amazing.